All right, so who here has ever been their own worst enemy, okay? Either your hand is up right now or you are a liar, like you lie, because we have all at different times been our own worst enemy. There is something um, within us as human beings that, that we just have the potential, and so often we do. Um, we do things that undermine our own success, our own well-being, we, we, our, our own happiness. I mean, we, we destroy things in our lives, like we, we ruin our own financial success, our actual health, our, our relationships, our career. Like, we are just really, really good at messing things up, Right. We can be our own worst enemy. Um, and, and I was, uh, as I was kind of getting ready for this message, I was like, I don't know, think of a story to share. When have I been my own worst enemy? But I had to like keep marking ones off the list because I'm like, I can't say that. <laughs> like, this, this has got to be a, a relevant story, but I can't be too embarrassed, right? And so I landed on this one, okay? And this is a, a pattern or a habit of mine that forms is that I have a tendency um, to make purchases that I later regret, not because it wasn't I didn't need it or wasn't a good purchase, but because I think I'm like, I'm going to get a good deal on this, okay? And so I'm going to find something, uh, and then I was like, well, this is junk. Why did I buy it? Uh, and so uh, if, if you pay attention at all to, like, if you're the kind of person that pays attention to what someone drives, I do. That's how I know, that's how I know you, by the way. It's like I'm looking, I'm seeing a vehicle that's like somebody I know. I'm like, I got to get ready to wave because it might be them. So I, I wave at a lot of random people because they have the same vehicle. And if you change your vehicle, you're going to think I'm completely ignoring you because you're like, I don't know who that is. That's a different vehicle. But anyway. Anyway, if you pay attention like I do to what people drive, uh, I've got my old white truck right now, which is my baby. Um, but before that, I had a big old red truck, right? Um, and I really wanted that. I was looking for a truck, needed to buy a truck, and uh, looking, searching Facebook Marketplace. I'm like, I found the truck that I want. It's like an hour and a half away, but it's a good deal. Okay, it's a good deal. So I'm going to go get it. I drag my dad along with me because anytime I go do something like that, I drag my dad along with me. Like, hey, guess what? We're driving an hour and a half there and back to go buy a truck. And we get there, and when I get there and look at the truck, it was clear that it was uh, not in the kind of condition that the pictures would have had me to believe, okay? Uh, in fact, I think as I did some investigative research, because I was pretty mad about this after the fact, uh, I'm pretty sure the guy that sold me the truck used the pictures from the guy who sold him the truck. So it was like from several years before them, like, oh, it looks nice. And I got there, and you could just tell that the thing had been abused, right? Like, and like it was dirty, it was beat up, it was, there was like... There, like, there was a part hanging down from below. I'm like, that's not too important. We're good. And I drove it an hour and a half back, man, and it had, it had, it had like a plug fuel injector, so it was like just missing the whole, I'm like, oh, ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -bum, like an hour and a half home. Um, and I knew when we went there and looked at it, I'm like, this is a bad idea. I should not buy this truck. I shouldn't do it. I know better. And guess what? I bought the truck. And I became my own worst enemy. Like financially, I spent money I shouldn't have, and I had to dump a bunch of money into it. Like time-wise, like how much time I spent working on that thing. And some of you got dragged into that as we had to lift the bed off of it to put a new fuel pump in it. Okay? You're like, hey, guys, I need some big strong men because I got a fuel pump I got to re replace. Right? I, I became, like just the stress, that was my own worst. Like, and I had nobody to blame for that other than me. That was something stupid that I did. And we all do those things, right? We're like, bad decision, nobody's fault other than mine. Um, no, your bad decision is not my fault. Okay? Like, okay, so get that right. So you're saying that to yourself. My bad decision was mine. Okay? Don't blame it on me. Okay? It was yours. We all become our own worst enemy. That's what we do. And, and it, sometimes it's something simple, right? Or something kind of funny like a truck. That wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, I did end up with a truck and it got, I got it fixed up and it was, you know, it was okay. But sometimes we do it really, really, like we do it up big. We become our own worst enemy in a really, really major way. Like maybe you've seen this in someone else where someone just completely blew their lives up. Like they, they destroyed a marriage, they destroyed their career, they got completely upside down financially, they got uh, stuck in addiction or wh whatever it was, and it's easy to look kind of from the outside and go, I, that will never be me. I'll never do that. Like how could, how could they be so blind? How could they be so dumb? How could they be so reckless? I would never do that. But the reality is we've got to be careful because we all have the potential to do that. 
we all have the potential within us to become our own worst enemy and to just kind of destroy everything. And, and, and here's how I know that you, this potential lives within you because it lives within me too. You have participated in all of your bad decisions. Every one of them, 100% of them, right? Like, like I was there for every stupid thing I ever did. In fact, not only was I there for it, most of the time it was my idea, okay? Like we just, we just, there's just this thing and a single bad decision. You're like, it's just one bad decision. It's just one, it was just one bad purchase. But one bad decision becomes the first step a lot of times in a series of them to where six months later, a year later, five years later, you're like, what the heck happened? How did I end up here? How did this happen? Um, the potential is there for to just unravel and to become our own worst enemy. So today we are starting a new series, How Not to Become Your Own Worst Enemy. How do we not do that? How do we avoid that? Um, as, as we get kind of started in this series, do you want to give a shout out? Anytime we do a series that is not original to us, I'd like to kind of call that out. This is not original to us. We did not make that cool bumper video in this graphic. Um, this is from North Point Community Church a couple times a year if you're, if you're new with us as a church. A few times a year we'll, we'll take a, a series that's prepackaged that we purchased from someone else um, and we'll use those graphics and those outlines and we'll kind of make it our own because it gives us a little bit of breathing room. And so we just came out of Easter and it was crazy. And we're like, okay, let's do a three-week series that's kind of already packaged up and we'll do some adjustments to it, make it our own. So that's going on with this series, but it's really good. Um, I've worked through it, and I'm like, it's, just, it's, it's a super, super practical series because we're going to talk about three ways throughout these three weeks of the series, how do we avoid um, some of the pain and suffering of life that is actually avoidable, that's, that's rooted in our own bad decisions. Um, this is very, you know, it, it's interesting because this idea, like Jesus kind of touches on this. He doesn't say it exactly this way. He doesn't ever use the phrase, you know, being your own worst enemy, but he was really clear. Um, he, he came along and said this, this really famous thing. He said, anyone who, who hears my teachings, anyone who kind of looks at me and my way of life and what I teach and the path that I'm laying out and who hears it and who sees it and goes, nah, I'm not going to do that. He says that person, you know, is their own worst enemy. They undermine their life. He actually said it this way. He said that that person hears my teaching and doesn't put it into practice, like doesn't do anything with it. They're like a foolish person that built their, their, their house or their life on sand. And eventually it came tumbling down and everything blew up. So how do we not do that? We're going to look at these three habits in this series. They're going to push us in that direction that are kind of preventative. Like how do I, how do I prevent that from happening um, and the first habit is today, and then in the coming weeks will be the, the next ones. The first habit is this. Uh, it is pay attention to the tension, okay? There's going to be nice little rhyming phrases because I'm not skilled enough to come up with that, but somebody else has. So pay attention to the tension. What that means is any time that you're doing something in life and there's an option, there's a choice in front of you, there's a decision you need to make, there's a career you're pursuing, there's, uh, you know, a relationship, there's a behavior, there's a habit, whatever it is, like anytime you're, you're getting ready to do that, you're going about life, you're, you're figuring things out, and there's that little thing that rises up in you and goes, like it's like, wait a minute, when there's that little hesitation, there's that little, uh, if you want to use some Christianese around it, if you ever say, I got I a check in my spirit, okay, I just got a little check in my spirit, okay, I, I don't know what that means, but you know, there's just that, there's, your conscience is just kind of like, hey, I'm here. You, you pay like anytime that happens, like don't like don't just rush past that, but go wait a minute. What is that? What's going on there? Because our, our tendency is actually to just rush right past it and go shh. You be quiet. And instead of listening to that thing that rises up in us, our tendency is to start selling ourselves on bad ideas. Right? You start that intern. No one is as good at selling us on a bad idea as we are at selling ourselves on a bad idea. Like, and, and we, we believe nobody's lies quite like we believe our own lies. We're like, oh, yeah, 
that sounds great. This is awesome, right? Like whenever we see something that we really, really want, we start selling ourselves on it. You know, I had researched a truck. I wanted the truck. And I was like, I know it's not in good shape. And I know I'm going to regret this, but we drove an hour and a half here, okay? I don't, I need a vehicle, okay? You know, we're already here. It's not that bad. You know, I think it just needs washed, right? Like it just needs, let's probably put a coat of wax on it. And you, we sell ourselves on a bad idea. And that's just a silly example. But I mean, how often it's like, you know, I know I don't need that. And I know I can't afford it, but I can finance it, right? right? It'll, be, it'll be great. And then like five years, you're like, why am I still paying on this thing? I don't have any more. I, I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't think that. I shouldn't make that decision. And I would be so ashamed of it if anybody found out. But no one's going to find out, right? And if no one's going to find out, is it, is it that big of a deal? And, and so we, we begin to kind of justify and we, we, we begin to, to sell ourselves and convince ourselves. You know, they, they would understand you know, everybody else acts this way, so I'm justified in responding this way. I'm justified in doing this thing. And any time that kind of dialogue starts or we start selling ourselves on something, that's like red flag going off. We should be like, wait, whoa, 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 warning, warning. Something's about to happen here that's not good. There, there's a, an interesting idea that, that it, it, it turns out it's pretty true, that we rarely have to sell ourselves on a good idea. <laughs> we, we rarely have to talk ourselves into something that's good or something that's wise, we just know that it is. I mean, we may have to talk ourselves into doing it. Those are two different things. But we don't have to go, oh, you know what? I don't know. Is it really a good thing to be more self-controlled? I'm not sure. I mean, like, oh, no. And now doing it's another thing, right? Is it really a good thing to be generous or to be kind? I don't know. Like, we don't have to sell ourselves on good ideas. But whenever we're something that, like, we know, it's like, eh, I might have to start selling myself on that. Uh, and so what, what do we do? How do we pay attention to the tension? When that thing is within us, it goes, hey, wait a minute, maybe we should pause a little bit. I want to look at a passage today um, that is going to be a really good kind of example of this playing out and the power of this principle in life. Um, this is going to be found in the Old Testament. So uh, in our English Bibles, it's kind of divided into two, like, two parts. The first like two-thirds of it we call the Old Testament. The, the second third of it we call the New Testament. Um, Old Testament and New Testament, not really exactly great terms because it's like is it old is it new what is a testament what does that mean that comes from latin and it's just confusing uh, basically the old is like it's the old way that god related to people and now there's the new which is the new way that god relates to people through the person of jesus and so like the new testament we call the new testament it's the story of jesus and what he's done for everyone everywhere at all times and the old testament what we call the old testament is just the hebrew scriptures it's the jewish scriptures it's actually the story that leads to the jesus story it's like the backstory. It's like the. It's like how did we get here to this point? You know, when Jesus comes onto the scene, uh, and it kind of fills in some of those details and fills in some of those gaps. And the other thing that it does is it provides great like example um, and, and kind of wisdom for here's here's a good principle to live by. Here's something not to do. Um, there's examples. There's wisdom. There's not. It's not necessarily binding on us if you're a follower of Jesus. It's not binding on us like the New Testament is. But it's there's wisdom to be found in it. And there is uh, an example of this idea of paying attention to that thing that's coming up inside of us. That's found in the Old Testament scriptures and the Hebrew scriptures. Um, and, and so we're going to look at it. it. It revolves around the life of a guy named King David. Um, David was the, the second king of ancient Israel and possibly the most famous. He's probably the most well-known, like, you know, King David. Second king, but the, the story we're looking at today takes place before he's actually king. 
Um, and David steps onto history not as the king. He steps onto the pages of history when he's just a child. Uh, he, he's, he's anointed by this prophet. He's like, hey, you're going to be the next king, which is this really cool story of like not all the older, stronger brothers, but kind of like we're given this picture that David's just this kind of scrawny little runty kid. And God's like, yeah, I see the heart, not the outside. And so David gets anointed to be the next king. And then later on, there's this interesting thing that happens. It's probably the most famous story that people think David, and they think first thing, ah, David and Goliath. So there, there, there's this, this warrior giant Philistine, this enemy of Israel, and he's taunting the armies of Israel, and he's like making fun of Israel's God. And David shows up, and he's just a shepherd boy, and he's got, you know, he's got the slingshot and some rocks, and he just whips that thing, hits Goliath on the head, and it's a happy ending, except for the fact where David then goes and chops off Goliath's head, but we leave that part out of the children's stories. It's just too graphic, okay? Because that, that's what happens, right? So David defeats Goliath, and everyone's like, Woo, David, you're awesome. And kind of from that point forward, David is on this trajectory of being really well-known, being very famous. Everybody's like, he's got this great reputation. He, he, he's rising to prominence. Um, and his, as his popularity continues to grow, the king at the time, King Saul, kind of brings him near. He's like, hey, this, this guy is an asset. Like he's, I, want him, I want him to be kind of in, in the fold. I want him to be a part of what's going on here. And so Saul, he becomes a warrior, like David kind of fights for under, underneath King Saul. But David also marries King Saul's daughter. And now so this is the king, it's his father-in-law, and so he's in, right? They're, they're connected, they're related. But the more David's popularity grows and the more successful that he gets, the more Saul's, Saul's like uh, jealousy and the more his, uh, his, his kind of paranoia begins to grow. And he's like, I've I got to do something about this. This David is becoming a threat to my role. Uh, and, and so there's a series of events where, where Saul is just like after David, after David, after David. And then towards the end, he picks up a spear and like throws it at David to try to like kill him and like pin him to the wall, like cartoon style, you know. And, and so David's like, okay, I'm out of here. Okay. And so David is on the run. He's fleeing. So he, he flees Saul. He's, he's on the run. He's on the go. He's just traveling. And a group of people start traveling with him. Right, because he's popular, and as his popularity grows, there, there, there is a, a group, a following of other outlaws and other fugitives, other people that got on the Saul's, you know, people to kill list, okay, or people to throw in prison list. And so they're like, hey, we want to follow David. And so eventually there's, this, there's like hundreds of, of men following David, and they're just like the original Robin Hood, okay? It's all these outlaws. It's David and his merry men. They're traveling around. They're avoiding the king. Uh, as they're on the run from him. Um, and, and during this time, Saul's always trying to find him and trying to hunt him down. So he's got spies everywhere to try to find where David and his men are so he can put an end to the threat of, of, his, of his kingdom, of his kingship, of his power. And that is where we pick the story up. This is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24, um, starting in verse 1. It says that, that Saul, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, those were kind of like uh, Israel's enemy at the time that was most famous. Uh, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So there's this really desertous area. Pretty much that whole region is desertous. It's the Middle East. Uh, this is somewhere like west of the, of the, the Dead Sea area, a place where there's lots of caves. That's going to become important here in a minute. Um, and there's also some oases and places where you can get water. So a great place for David and his men to hide out while they're on the run. And Saul hears that's where, the, where, where they're at. Uh, and so he is going to round up some men. Um, oh my goodness, technology is not working today. He took 3,000 able-bodied uh, able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. 
I chuckled in the volunteer service, and I'm still doing it now, because that's an awesome name, you guys. The Craigs of the Wild Goats. Like, don't you want to live there? Not really. Um, but you know how you drive by, and there's, like, nice communities that are kind of gated, and they always have, like, really nice fancy names. You know, it's like the, the whatever estates, Berkshire, fanciness, King's cobblestone wonderfulness. Like, I want to live in the gated community that's the Craigs of the Wild Goats. Like, I think I might be the only person that lives there, so it would be nice and private. Okay, so he goes to this place called the Craigs of the Wild Goats, uh, and while he's there, he came to the sheep pens along the way, and there was a cave there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. So, told you, there's lots of caves in this area, and when you got to go, you got to go. So King Saul's like, everybody stop, I need to go to the bathroom, uh, and, and there's a cave there that would be perfect. Uh, and so Saul, as the king, has this privilege, right? Like, he, he can stop the whole procession and be like, I'm going to the bathroom, everybody else stop. If you're just one of his men, you don't get that privilege. It's like, no, we're, we're marching. I got to run off to the side real quick and do what I got to do and then get back into my position. But Saul's like, okay, everybody, you stay back here. I'm going to go up by myself, get a little privacy, and go up into this cave. And so he would go into the cave and take off, you know, like, the outer robe and everything and get himself all prepared to do whatever it is that he needs to do. So he comes to the cave, he goes in to relieve himself, and now... There's the plot twist. Here's the tension. This happens to be the same cave where David and his men were at in the far back of the cave. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Like that's, that's when the music changes in the movie score and it's like, oh no, what's going to happen? Saul comes into a cave. Of all the caves in this area, it's, 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 reads, it's full of caves and he happens to walk into the one where David and his men are. What are the odds of that? Talk about like the stars aligning. Talk about like this is the moment. This is perfect. The, the, the scene has been set. Like Saul is the archetypical typical kind of bad guy in the movie and David is the underdog of the hero and he's on the run and fate has dealt him the cards of ha-ha, my enemy is here for me to take over and do, you know, kill him and stuff, right? Talk about like, hey, this, this must be what God wants. This has got to be something good. Like this must be, must be God's will. This is an answer to prayer, so here's the scene. Saul would, would be stepping in from like the, the Middle Eastern sunlight, right? It is bright. It is blinding. And so he would walk in and the cave would be dark and it'd just be like, you see nothing. You ever come inside, like day like yesterday or today, you go, you go inside and you're like, I don't know where things are. Because like, you, like, you're outside and it's so bright and you're like, I can't see anything. And so Saul would come in. He wouldn't be able to see anything, just pitch black. But there at the back of the cave are David and his men who've been in there for a while. And their eyes are adjusted as they stare out towards the entrance, they see the silhouette of Saul step into the cave, and they, they see him, his guard is down, and he takes his robe off. Imagine what would be running through David's mind. What do you think was running through his mind at this moment? What would be running through your mind at this moment? Of like, this is it. This is my moment. This, like, this is, this is, this, it would be so easy to think, God, you are so good. You have delivered my enemy into my hands. This is the moment that we have been waiting for. I mean, I mean, David's got to be thinking, hey, I've already been anointed as, ki- as king, as a child. Everyone already loves me. I'm a great warrior. Everyone knows that I'm next in line to be king. In fact, the only thing standing in the way of me and being the king, the only thing standing in the way for me and, and power and wealth, between me and being able to go back home and not be on the run, the only thing standing in the way between me and what God has promised me is Saul. So why don't I just get rid of that obstacle? Let's just kill him. Let's just be done with it. That would have been normal in the ancient world, right? Like that's, that's so often how like kings came to power. It's like, oh, you just kill the older king. You have a little revolt. It'll be great. And everyone would know. Everyone would say, you know what, David? You were justified. Saul was being a real jerk to you. You're like, you, you, you were going to be king and he's been pursuing you. David, just do it. Do it. And if David wasn't thinking that already, which I'm sure he was, 
his men sure were, because here's, here's what they say. The men said to him, David, this is the day that the Lord spoke of. And I, okay, I got to do this too, because I did it in the through service. I'm like, this is the day that the Lord has. It's, that kind of takes away from the, the, you know, the, the extremeness of the moment. If David's men start singing that instead, I don't think they are. Uh, but but they, they said, this is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David, dude, this is the moment we've been waiting for. This is the moment. This is, this is it. I mean, this is what David had been promising his men. As they're on the run, as their lives are interrupted, just guys, just stay with me a little while longer. Stay with me a little while longer. I promise, like, I'm going to be king, and when I'm king, I'll reward you for being loyal. Guys, just a little while longer, and I'll be king, and, and you can go back home, and you can go back to your families, and you can go back to your lives. No more running all the time. And they're saying, David, the wait is over. Now is the time just go up behind him, you take your sword, and you just drive it into the back, you drive it into the chest, into the stomach, wherever, we don't care, right across the shoulders, you just kill Saul and let it be over. It seems like the perfect opportunity. And you just picture the scene, if this had happened, as, as Saul's men are all outside, there's like 3,000 of them, you know, they're a little ways off, they, they see Saul walk into the cave, disappear for a few minutes, and they start to see a figure coming out, and they think, hey, it's, Saul's done, we're going to get back on our little journey, go back to doing what we were doing. And they would see, instead of Saul walking out of the cave, they'd see David walking out, Saul's head in hand, drop it for dramatic effect. And in that moment, in that moment, David would immediately be proclaimed king. Immediately. He would be the, everyone, people knew that he was anointed, people loved him, the warriors followed him. And in that moment, it would be like, you are the king. All right, let's go. Everyone, to the king. All right? Can you imagine the emotion that David feels in this moment, the adrenaline, the, the, the pressure, the, the, the like, oh, this is it, this is it. As, as his heart continues to, to pound faster and things are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's happening, it's happening, what do we do? This has to be God's will, right? This has to be God's will. And so David begins to act. We read that he crept up unnoticed. He gets closer and closer as he makes his way from the dark shadows in the back up to where Saul is standing, just completely oblivious to the world. As he makes his way to the, to the front of the cave to where Saul is, he feels something more than just, than just the emotion and the adrenaline and the, 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 this is it, this is what God has promised. He starts to feel something in his spirit that says, maybe this isn't right. Maybe this isn't what you're supposed to do. This, are you sure this is God's will? There's like a little bit of hesitation in David that in light of the circumstances would make no sense at all. There's hesitation in David that, that if, he were to tell, if he were to tell his story to everyone else, they would say, you know what, David, you are justified. You should kill him. He has been horrible to you. He has tried to kill you. He's run you out. He's destroying your life. Like, he's not a good guy. David, you deserve this. It's fine. It's justified. But there's something in him that causes this change of heart. And so somewhere between the back of the cave and when David gets to Saul, he does something different. Instead of plunging his sword into Saul's body, he cuts off a, quarter, a corner of his robe. And he creeps back to his men that are hiding in the back. There's a thought that hits him that, that, that this can't be right. I'm about to murder the king. I'm about to murder my own father-in-law and that will be part of my legacy forever. And so he's conscience-stricken by that. He's bothered by that. In fact, uh, the next verse actually tells us that afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Like, he is so bothered by what's going on in his heart that he's like, I can't believe I even did that. 
I can't believe I would do something so disgraceful or so disrespectful to, to, like, to, to, to even lift my hand against Saul. And he tells his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or, or even lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. He's like, this, this, this isn't right. Even though everything about the situation said, no, this is right, and you do deserve this, and you should do it, and anyone would do it, and everyone would do it, and this is the right thing, and this is what all your people around you who are saying, yeah, do it, do it, do it. This is what we want. Even though everything seemed to be pointing in that direction, David goes, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't know. There's something that's off about this. He paid attention to what seemed irrational, to that, that, that whisper within, that feeling inside that says, listen, pump the brakes here. You're about to do something you can't ever take back. And in that moment, paying attention to that, that kept him from becoming his own worst enemy. In that moment, he would have become the man who murdered Israel's first king. He would have become the man who, who, who murdered his own father-in-law. Can you imagine that being part of his legacy, you know, whenever he's older talking to his kids? Oh, dad, dad, tell us about the time that you killed Goliath. We love that one. No, 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 dad. Tell us about the time you killed grandpa while he was peeing. We love that story, right? Like, like it would, this would have changed everything for him. Tell us about the time, you know, you, you stabbed a guy in his back while he was defenseless. That, that, that'd be great, David. Tell, tell us about that one. But now he's got some explaining to do to his men. Because <laughs> he goes back and they're like, this was our shot. We're tired of running. We're tired of being fugitives. This was our shot. And he says, listen, guys, this isn't right. It's not right. I can't lift my hand uh, against them. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul either. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. And so I'm sure they were like, you let me at him. Let me at him, right? Like, and he's like, no, guys, this, this isn't right. I will be king someday. But not like this. Not like this. God has promised that I will be king. He's anointed me as the next king. But but." trying to pursue something that is, is God's will for my life in a way that is counter to the character of God is not right. I won't do it. I won't do it. It says David went out of the cave, so he follows after Saul, and he calls out, Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So David shows just extreme, just honor and, and humility. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This very day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. You see, my father, look at this piece of, of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. You see that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. David honors Saul. He shows him just incredible humility. And just, he displays this incredible humility and honor and respect in the face of, like, Saul doesn't deserve that. He decides, I'm going to do the right thing. And I will let God determine the outcomes. I am not responsible for what anybody else does. I'm only responsible for what I do. And we'll let the chips fall where they may, and God will determine the outcomes. And everyone in that moment, all of David's men, all of Saul's men, and even Saul himself knew who the better man was. It was clear and it was obvious that David wasn't going to use Saul's bad behavior as an excuse for his own bad behavior. He wasn't going to go, well, he did, so I'm justified in doing this. How about us? Because oftentimes that's the trap that we fall into and we make decisions that we end up becoming our own worst enemy. Well, they did that, so now I can do this back. 
where, where somebody does something to me and I will use their bad behavior against me to, to uh, justify my own bad behavior. And maybe it's not something that happened directly to me, right? It's not something something, something did to me, but hey, other people do this. Other people are doing stupid things or things that I shouldn't or things that if I'm a follower of Jesus does not align with the way of Jesus, but they're doing it. So it'll be okay if I do. Everyone will understand. Everyone's doing it. It's fine. It's no big deal. This moment, all eyes are on Saul. And he's humiliated. He's humiliated not by, by, he's humiliated by David, but it's not by David's like military strength. He's not humiliated by David's, his just, his battlefield tactics or just his, his extreme, you know, strength and just like, aha, I'm a better warrior. He's humiliated by David's character. That, that, that David shows, no, I have a higher character and self-control and all of these things. It's just better. And Saul at this moment has no choice but to turn the army around and to go back home. That is, that is the power of paying attention to that little thing that rises up within you. That when there's a moment and there's an opportunity and there's something, there's a decision I can make, there's a, a behavior that I'm a part of, there's a choice that I'm making, it's whatever it is. When there's something that goes, I don't know. Like there is power to stopping and going, wait a minute, let me, let me check this for a minute. Let me check this for a minute and see what's going on. If there's something, if there's something within you that you can't quite put your finger on, if there's something going on in your life right now, there's a decision you gotta make, or there's something you're doing, or whatever it is, and you're like, there's just something I can't quite put my finger on, but I'm bothered. Let it bother you. Don't just brush past it. Or if there's something that maybe you're not seeing, but somebody else has put their finger on and pulled you aside and said, hey, I'm seeing this, and that bothers you, let that bother you. Because they may be able to see something that you don't. To learn to ask ourselves this question, I know it's really uncomfortable, but it's a question that's clarifying. And for, for so many of us, this will be a question that down the road, we're like, I'm really glad I asked it. It was uncomfortable in the moment, but I'm glad I asked it. Asking, is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there something in me that like, I should pay attention to that? That's a, it's a preemptive strike between, between us and becoming our own worst enemy to slow down long enough to at least just recognize and to evaluate and not just brush past it. Because when it, when it comes to becoming our own worst enemy, is that every, every habit that, that becomes destructive in our life, it starts with a first time. Every single one. Like, oh, it was just once. And it was twice. And then it was 10 times. A- every pattern that develops that, that destroys us starts with like that first instance, that first line in the pattern. Every, uh, every journey that we go on, whether it's down a good road or a bad road, it, takes by ta- it starts by taking that first Step And when there's something at that beginning that goes, wait a minute, maybe you should pay attention, let that bother you. If there's something about him that bothers you, let it bother you. If there's something about her that bothers you, let it bother you. If there's something about that, that offer that's on the table that seems too good to be true, and you're like, I don't know, this kind of bothers me. Like, let it bother you. If there's something uh, about, you know, a habit that you've developed, there's something about a relationship that you're in, you're just like, and you're like, I'm just not at ease with that. Like, let that actually sit with you for a moment. Don't rush past that. Because here, here's what so many of us know and, have exp- and we know from experience on the other side of it, that what begins as an uneasy feeling, often later on down the road, later on down the road, uh, is supported with insight and experience. What begins with an uneasy feeling, like I don't know that I, I, I don't know, like five years, like six months, five years, 10 years down the road, that uneasy feeling is now backed up by, now I have a story of pain to go with my uneasy feeling at the beginning. And oh, it would be great if we could just spare ourselves from some of that pain. Where, where God is saying, hey, listen, 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 pay attention. I want better for you than that. Like, don't, don't brush past this. 
So along with the series, there's going to be a um, kind of a commitment that we're going to make together each week. And you don't have to make it. I can't force you to do anything. Um, that goes along with this habit. So would you be willing to make this commitment that I will pause until I pinpoint the cause. I will explore rather than ignore my conscience. Two ways of saying the same thing. And yes, they rhyme. I will pause for long enough until I can like nail down, like what is, what is the cause of me being so uneasy about this? I will explore that, that conscience that's bothering me. I will like go, okay, I'll listen to you for a second instead of going, oh, shut up, be quiet. I don't want to listen to my conscience. Like, like stop for a minute and go, okay, what is this thing? What is this thing that's going on inside of me? Is there attention that deserves your attention? Because if there is, man, don't rush past that. That very well may be the whisper of a God who loves you that doesn't want to see you hurt, that doesn't want to see you in pain. And especially if you, if you are a, a Christian or a follower of Jesus, you know, when you put your faith in Jesus, like his Holy Spirit comes to dwell, to live within you. And, and one of the things that the Holy Spirit of God does is when there are things in our life that, that get us off the track of what Jesus has for us, that life abundant that he has for us, that Holy Spirit will rise up and be like, hey, listen, this isn't good, this isn't right, this is going to lead to pain. Or we stop long enough and listen to that. And sometimes that voice comes through the Spirit working within us. Sometimes that voice comes through uh, reading of Scripture. Sometimes that voice comes through one another, someone else saying, hey, I'm seeing this thing. Will we listen to that? And pay attention to that tension that's within us so that we can avoid pain down the road. We can actually step into and live into the life that God has for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much um, just for loving us. God, for loving us enough um, to, to move us in a direction away from the things that harm us. God, we, we trust and we believe that the things that you say are for our good. Um, Lord, so often what we see as, I don't know, things that are just restrictive or, or no fun, on the front end we, we discover days, weeks, months, maybe years later um, that they were things that, that you were moving us away from because you knew it would cause us pain. So Lord, I pray that you just give us wisdom that when we hear that voice, when we have that hesitation, when, we, when there's that thing in our spirit that says, hey, maybe you should reconsider this. God, give us the wisdom to hear that. Give us the strength to know what to do with it. The wisdom to know what to do with it. The strength to actually do it and go, you know what? This maybe isn't the best thing for me. Lord, I pray through the power of your spirit you would do that in us. God, I pray through the, pe- for, uh, through, through the people around us that, that you would do that for us. That people would speak words of wisdom truth and life into us, that we would be willing to receive that. I pray this in Jesus' name.